You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And yes, I am back in the house today. It is December 26th, and welcome to the conservative conscience. Hope you all enjoyed your Christmas vacation. I certainly enjoyed having a nice long weekend to spend extra time with the kids, do some home improvement projects. In fact, every muscle in my body is so Charlie Horse now. Uh, pretty much my vocal cords are the only part of my body still working. I can't even type properly now. My my forearms are just blown up uh, between just all the woodworking and taking down wallpaper and who knows what else. But really, really enjoyed it. And um, I know you know some of you guys are off all week. I wish I were. Uh, but life must go on because the truth be told... While everyone thinks this is a slow news cycle, and it is a relatively slow news cycle, but that's only if you define a news cycle by what the media reports on. What the media doesn't report on is more important, and sometimes that's slow while the media cycle is fast, and sometimes there's a lot going on while the media is slow. And we actually had another terror attack over the Christmas weekend. Now, we've reached the point where we are close enough to the European dynamic, where we have so much Islamic immigration from the Middle East over the past two decades, that it's no longer even news when someone we brought to this country, either recently or many years ago, or as a child of those we brought in from the Middle East, goes and executes a plan, is either thwarted, or it's a botched plan, or certainly if they don't bring anything to fruition and just kind of, you know, get caught up in an FBI thing. It's not even national news anymore. It's not even news at almost anywhere. So what I'm referring to now, although there's really been a lot going on, but one particular incident, if you haven't heard, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, nice, sleepy Pennsylvania town, small, small state capital, where there was a terrorist who shot at police at three different locations until he was finally uh, gunned down in, in, a, in a gun battle. Luckily, no one was killed. One officer, I believe, was lightly injured. And DHS confirms, you know, DHS press secretary Tyler Holton confirmed that this guy, Ahmed Aminaminim El-Mufti, boy, is that a mouthful, this guy was an immigrant from Egypt who later became a naturalized citizen just like you and me, unfortunately, so many of these people becoming citizens. And he was a beneficiary of chain migration brought in on an F-24 visa that's from a, being sponsored by a family member. And the, the interesting thing is that on the same day, this, this happened late Friday, that you know while this terror attack was going on, another guy, Jalil Ibn Amir Aziz, was being sentenced in federal court in Harrisburg for material support for ISIS. This was a guy in 2015. He uh, threatened to behead Barack Obama as president. And now, you know, the two have nothing to do with each other. This was just the sentencing. But the thought cropped into my mind, wait a minute. 
we now have to, I was like, there's two people just from Harrisburg alone. You know, we're not even talking about Brooklyn, New York, the notorious places where you have you know large communities of radical Islamists. This is a problem everywhere. You know, I broke down last week, country by country, roughly 47 of them, how much immigration we've taken in since 9-11. We brought in roughly 2 million from these predominantly Muslim countries. Egypt, we have a tremendous amount of immigration from in recent years. Egypt, Bangladesh, Pakistan, all these countries, all these countries have supplied us and we've willingly, you know, taken in as many as, as we can and plus more over the last number of years with no regard for who they are, what are their values. And what, what I've noticed now, I don't even have time to write about this all the time, but on a daily basis, I'm seeing stories, now not pervasively in the media, but, you know, just some sort of local Fox affiliate, local, uh, you know, paper reporting, because I follow on Twitter, you know, some really good guys on national security, so they follow this stuff, but otherwise you never know. Every day there's another person arrested for engaging in terrorist activity so this is not a matter of yeah you know three major terror attacks per year by three people this is every day there's more and more people arrested by the fbi you can imagine how many people are not caught and then ask yourself this question if there are these many people that are are already at the active phase of jihad in the muslim communities the immigrant communities we we've brought into this country through mainly through chain migration, particularly, by the way, from the Middle East. It's all through chain migration. How many more are in the orbit around that? That they support it? They sympathize with it? How many more people are within the orbit around that? Where they subscribe to Sharia law in general that cultivates this sort of hate, hateful mentality? How much hate have we brought into this country? of people that are willing or support or sympathize with attempting or actually killing those who feed them, biting the hand that feeds them, the country that welcomed them from the hellhole they came from, you know, rather than the tradition of past immigrants who came from places that, that were you know pretty, pretty terrible places to live or they were persecuted and they came to America and they loved America more than anyone else, here they come here and, and, and they hate America. They hate our values. How many more? You know, obviously you had the terror attack um, or attempted attack in San Francisco as well over the weekend. That was th- thankfully thwarted. And also on the same day, DHS announced that a Pakistan-born woman, Zubia Shanaz, who was charged earlier this month with laundering Bitcoin, to you know, basically a money laundering scheme to get capital for ISIS, wire money to them. She was brought in on an F forty three visa. That's the distant relative who brings in someone, and then that that second person brings in a kid. Classic chain chain migration. This is the same visa that Ikayad Ula, the New York bomber from Bangladesh, that guy a couple weeks ago, um, he came in also on an F forty three visa. And again, ultimately, these countries, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Egypt, that we've seen terrorists from recently, 
they originally started out as diversity visa lottery countries because we didn't have that much immigration. Then we started having a tremendous amount of immigration over the last 20 years. Now, ironically, we have so much from there that they're no longer eligible for the diversity lottery. But through chain migration, we just keep bringing in more. So if you if you if you like your immigration system, you could keep it to paraphrase Obama with Obamacare. We have so many people in this country now in these neighborhoods with, you know, care and Islamic society, society, Islamic society of North American run mosques tied to the Muslim Brotherhood, run by the Muslim Brotherhood. So that's, that's the thing. A, we this is a double problem we have in our country now. A, we bring in people from parts of the world where 95 percent subscribe to Sharia law and uh, hate Jews. And I'm going to get to that in a minute, why, why I'm talking about that. And then when they come here, even if there was a certain percentage, you say, all right, at least they dissimilate. But the leadership in these communities are run by the Muslim Brotherhood, which is why it is so important, so important that you know we, we push this administration to fulfilling one of the promises they've still left unkept is to designate the Muslim Brotherhood and their umbrella organizations as terrorist groups for their terror financing. Because that's how you're going to put an end to a lot of this. If you hope to assimilate some of the ones already here to the extent it's possible, you're never going to do that if the leadership is controlled by the Muslim Brotherhood. You know, I was speaking to our national security guy here, Jordan Schachtel, earlier today, and he found this to be an interesting point because I was telling him, you know, this is not just a matter of Oh, designating them as terrorists as you know just a tool of going after the organizations directly it affects the communities you know when you see these big mosques put up in all corners of the country and you know again and and, and to be clear we're all for freedom of religion among those that are already here you know there's no freedom of religion to immigrate but if you're here we want we want you to practice your religion but unfortunately, because of the way Islam is now and the nature of the fact that these mosques, almost all of them, especially if it's a mega mosque, is funded by Muslim Brotherhood International Umbrella Organizations as well as often by the Turkish government, by Erdogan, like you saw in that big Prince George's County, Maryland mosque, which is supposedly the biggest one in North, North America, is funded through seven, several hundred million dollars worth of uh, direct state financing from Erdogan's government. So this is important. You designate them as a terrorist group. You go after the financing, and it stops a lot of this growth. But again, ultimately, you have to put an end to this immigration. It's insane. It just doesn't make sense. So this is what's been going on. Every day you find more and more of this. People that have come in as refugees, families of refugees, or chain migrants, all autopiloted. We brought in diversity lottery, refugees. Now now it's now it doesn't matter because they could all bring in their relatives. And over the last 10, 15, even 20 years, they've become citizens by now. And they can all bring in just as many people as you as you and I can. And none of it, forget about. You know, when we talk about the need for the RAISE Act, which I speak about in my book, Stolen Sovereignty, to put the tools to immigration, the keys to immigration back in the hands of the citizenry that we selectively choose one by one based based on a broad-based criterion that benefits Americans, we often think of that 
as more of an economic tool. You know, we want productive immigrants as opposed to just family ties where, you know, they're they're only brought in based on their relationship to someone here, not necessarily based on the skills. But it's really more of a national security issue as well. Because while officially we vet everyone, we know we don't, and when you're brought in just based on family ties, and we've have had hundreds of thousands brought in from the Middle East based on chain migration almost more than anywhere else, guess what? You're going to get more of it and more of it and more of it. And these very same families, you know, once in a while you find a family where, again, you know, the parents, they find out their kid is involved in terrorism, they're appalled by it. But like we saw with that Bangladeshi family, you know, they hired care lawyers and, uh, you know, they're fighting this. They had some fighting words for law enforcement. They, they sounded like they were all behind this. You wonder how many more of these people did we bring in? And the answer is quite a, quite a, quite a lot. You know, of the two million we brought in since 9-11, again, that, the, those are just under immigrant visas. Certainly you have the hundreds of thousands of student visas from, from the Middle East uh, over the last 15, 20 years, and that number is metastasizing every year. But out of the 2 million, if, only, if even only 20% subscribe to Sharia, and that, that is very charitable, if even only, only 20% hate Jews, guess what? That's 400,000 people that you just sowed the seeds in our country to cultivate a future chain migration of the same mentality, the same values, the same ethos. You know what's so tragic here is we need not speculate about the effects of destroying your country from inside, your civilization, your values, your culture through this Islamic chain migration from the Middle East. You look ominously across the pond to our counterparts in Europe and you see exactly what happens. And I was thinking about this over the weekend right after I read two articles about Jews in Sweden and their situation due to Islamic immigration. And right after I read those articles, I actually was driving on the highway over the weekend, and I saw right in front of me this, this uh, by the way, big SUV, which was pretty funny, with a Bernie Sanders bumper sticker. And there was another bumper sticker that said, no hate in this state. Okay, no hate in the state. Now, this was in Maryland. It was a Maryland license plate. So, no hate in Maryland. And I was thinking to myself, dude, we've got a lot of hate in this state. Because of you and your gutter ideology and your fellow left-wing compatriots in the political system, we have brought in thousands upon thousands of people in Maryland and many other states, really all the states, from the Middle East, that share the values of hate, that hate America, that hate Jews, that are virulently anti-Semitic. I said, where's the love in turning America into Europe, whereas in Europe, right now, Jews cannot walk openly as being Jewish in the streets in places like Sweden and France and parts of England and the Netherlands and Belgium and Germany because of the mass migration from the Middle East and North Africa. Where's the compassion and the love to look across the pond and say to yourself, man, I want to bring that dynamic to America. You are the hater. 
You are the one who is sitting back insouciantly forgetting the needs of Americans, the security needs, the values needs of Americans. It makes no sense. This is the Waterloo of political correctness, tolerating the intolerant under the guise of tolerance. This is where it comes full circle, and it's a complete refutation to everything these people stand for, or they claim to stand for. And yet nobody is listening. Nobody's listening. But before we get to nobody's listening, you know, I, I want to get into the courts. Because, again, in a sleepy news cycle, there's a lot going on with Judge Robart from Seattle and the Ninth Circuit again and again doing their thing with mandating immigration. You know, if, if the story of this year is stolen sovereignty, the title of my book, literally, the story of 2017, that a nation, that a president cannot defend the nation's sovereignty and security because the lower courts have become so supreme that even after the Supreme Court slaps them down twice, they're continuing to put nationwide injunctions on national sovereignty. We're going to discuss that towards the end of this show. How the president is the only one who seems to care about this and Congress is doing nothing, and the courts are blocking him, even though they don't have power to do that, but our body politic regards it as such. And the courts, and Congress, meanwhile, does nothing to limit the power of the very courts they themselves created, not the Constitution. The Constitution did not create the lower courts. But I want to read to you two stories. I'm going to do a lot of reading here. I just think it's important to speak this out. One is from the New York Times. The uncomf- Uncomfortable Truth About Swedish Anti-Semitism by Paulina Nuding. This past Saturday, a Hanukkah party at a synagogue in Gothenburg, Sweden, was abruptly interrupted by Molotov cocktails. They were hurled by a gang of men in masks at the Jews, mostly teenagers who had gathered to celebrate the holiday. Two days later, two firebombs were discovered outside the Jewish burial chapel in the southern Swedish city of Malmo. Who knows what tomorrow may bring? For Sweden's 11,000 Jews, sadly, none of this comes as a surprise. They are by now used to being used to anti-Semitic threats and attacks, especially during periods of unrest in the Middle East, which provide cover to those who actual, whose actual goal has little to do with Israel and much to do with harming Jews. By the way, just, just in, we're, we're already four paragraphs into this story and not a mention of who these people are, that they're Muslims. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and, and also notice that veiled, uh, you know, just parsimonious swipe there. It's okay to hate Israel, but, you know, you're harming Jews in general. Um, anyway, to continue, both of these recent attacks followed days of incitement against Jews. Last Friday, 200 people protested in Malmo against President Trump's decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. By the way, um, people... You know, Muslim immigrants protested in America against the same thing in New York. So we have that problem, too. The protesters called for an intifada, just like they did here, and promised we will shoot the Jews. A day later, during a demonstration in Stockholm, a speaker called Jews apes and pigs. There were promises of martyrdom. It's amazing. I, it's funny. I'm reading this for a second time to, to give it over to you guys, and I'm thinking every sentence here applies to America. Recently, there was a um, I was to say a pastor. What are they called? An imam in New Jersey who called Jews uh, apes and pigs. So again, we have the same problem here. Um, 
Malmo's sole rabbi has reported being the victim of more than 100 incidents of hostility, ranging from hate speech to physical assault, still no mention of Muslims. In response to such attacks, the Simon Wiesenthal Center issued a travel warning in 2010 advising extreme caution when visiting southern Sweden because of officials' failure to act against the serial harassment of Jews in Malmo. Now, look. As you're going to see in a minute, I am no fan of Swedish government, obviously, and and uh, it is true that they're doing nothing, but they're doing nothing because they encouraged Muslim immigrants, and they're doing nothing to clamp down on the attacks of Muslim immigrants. Notice they'll go after the Swedish government, the liberal Simon Wiesenthal Center, um, who, you know, again, you know, they, they make their legacy out of fighting the Holocaust uh, when, you know— Sadly, most Holocaust survivors have have moved on, have died already. I'm not saying there still isn't some work to be done there, but it certainly doesn't give them a license to wink and nod, support policies that will create a new one. Anyway, but I digress. Um... Continuing here, today entering a synagogue anywhere in Sweden usually requires going through security checks, including airport-like questioning. I'd argue in America also, you know, a lot of Jewish communities are spending a ton of money beefing up security, and it's not because of um, Korean uh, immigrants. Anyway, at times of high alert, police officers with machine guns guard Jewish schools. Children at the Jewish kindergarten in Malmo play behind bulletproof glass. It's worse than in Israel. Um, Not even funerals are safe from harassment. Jewish school teachers have reported hiding their identity. A teacher who wouldn't even share the city where she teaches for fear of her safety told a Swedish news outlet, I hear students shouting in the hallway about killing Jews. Henry Grinfeld, a teacher at a high school in a mostly immigrant neighborhood in Malmo, was told by a student, we're going to kill all Jews. He said other students yell, you hound, the Arabic word for, for Jew at him. A spokesman for Mama's Jewish community put the situation starkly. You don't want to display the Star of David around your neck, he said, or as spokesman for the Gottberg Synagogue put it, it's a constant battle to live a normal life and not to give in to the threats, but still be able to feel safe. The question that has dogged Jews throughout the centuries is now an urgent one for Sweden's Jewish community. Is it time to leave? You have a New York Times article saying it's so dire, they can't live there, they have to leave. And by the way, they still don't mention the Muslim immigration. But here, here we're going to get to it. Some are answering yes. One reason is the nature of the current threat. Historically, anti-Semitism in Sweden could mainly be attributed to right-wing extremists. Okay, I have to throw that in. Now, look at this. While this problem persists, a study from 2013 showed that 51%, 51% of anti-Semitic incidents in Sweden were attributed to Muslim extremists. Only 5% were carried out by right-wing extremists, and actually 25% were perpetrated by left-wing extremists. Swedish politicians have no problem condemning anti-Semitism carried out by (laughs) right-wingers. When neo-Nazis planned a march that would go past the Gottberg Synagogue on Yom Kippur this September, for example, it stirred up outrage across the political spectrum. (laughs) A court ruled that the demonstration had to change their route. (laughs) There is, however, tremendous hesitation to speak out against hate crimes committed by members of another minority group in a country that prides itself on welcoming minorities and immigrants. In 2015, Sweden was second only to Germany in the number of Syrian refugees that welcomed. Yet the three men arrested in the Maltov cocktail attack were newly arrived immigrants. It took two pages worth to get, get to this. Two Syrians and a Palestinian. 
The fear of being accused of intolerance has pal- uh, paralyzed Sweden's leaders from properly addressing deep-seated intolerance. <laughs> Some of the country's leaders have even used Israel as a convenient bogeyman to explain violence. Yeah, like those stupid Jews there in Israel, you know, they deserve it. Um, anyway, I can go on and on. I'm going to link to this in show notes. It's, it's a long article. Let me ask you, fellow liberal liberals in America, and when I say liberals, I'm referring to liberal Jews too. Like, you know, the Jewish family services that have joined the ACLU in their lawsuits demanding that Trump bring in more Islamic refugees. Let me ask you this. Do you want to bring this dynamic to America? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, you tell me if we are about one generation behind these countries in terms of the demographic trajectory. And again, the way the acceleration of the trajectory is projected at this point, we are going to get there within 15 years. How are you going to prevent America from, from not becoming like Europe, from not being that last refuge for Jews? They can't live in Europe anymore. So they either got to come to America or Israel. Where are they going to live? Should we turn America into Europe? It's a simple question. Where is the tolerance of – I mean this is what I tell people. If you had a part of the world that let's say was pervasively um, white supremacist, not everyone, but, but it was pervasive. Just like you know, 80, you know, 90% of people hate Jews in the Middle East, but it's for good reasons because it's, it's for Islamic reasons. And, you know, it's kind of because of Israel anyway. So that's the good type of hate. But let's say it was the bad type of hate. Let's say they hated blacks and Jews and whoever else, and they came from a certain part of the country where that, that mentality, those values were pretty pervasive among the people. What do you say, hey, let's go bring in two million more and have it autopiloted on chain migration to bring in even more? Nobody would. They'd shut that down in two seconds. In fact, the courts would probably ban immigration from there. You know, because the courts could do anything now. Yet somehow, when it's rooted in, in, in Islamic supremacism, it's okay. You know, I'll never forget... Um, I'll never forget, there's this great political cartoon, and I'm sure many of you have seen it, been floating around the internet, and I, I, I'm forgetting who it's from, so I'm sorry about the you know loss of attribution here. But basically, it was something to the effect of an, a Muslim guy chanting something about gays, and this you know liberal-looking woman says, oh, how offensive, how you're a horrible person, bigot, yada, yada. The guy says, I'm a Muslim. She says, oh, oh okay, I'm, I'm so happy you're able to keep up your, your culture and uh, identify with it. And, you know, it's sad, but it's so true. You know, you read this New York Times article, and they're open about it. Yeah, you know, this is a big problem. Jews can't really live. They're thinking of evacuating, kind of like, you know, worse than living in Gaza, it's kind of like the way Jews were treated in the Middle Ages in Europe, back to the 1930s in Germany, except because it's at the hands of the Muslims, well, you know, what do you want authorities to do? But let's complain about the authorities for not doing enough, even though we're advocating those very policies in America. 
It's amazing how this New York Times reporter goes through the entire thing without ever noting the irony of how they at the New York Times advocate to bring in those very policies that have made Europe unhospitable unhospitable for Jews they want to bring here. Now, there's another amazing article in Commentary, which is a liberal conservative. I know that's a oxymoron, but a liberal conservative publication that is many of the writers are pretty bad on this issue, but um, wrote a fascinating article about how Jews in Sweden are sandwiched in between pagan Sharia and Islamic Sharia. Let's read here. The firebombing of a synagogue in Gothenburg thrust Sweden's anti-Semitism crisis into global headlines. For years, Swedish Jews have lived in fear of such violence, which is almost always perpetrated by the country's large and ill-assimilated Muslim minority. According to a 2013 European Union study, four out of five Jews declined to publicly identify themselves as Jewish in Sweden, a damning indictment of a country that likes to portray itself as one of the, most, as one of the continent's most tolerant. Street-level thuggery isn't the only source of the crisis. As if Molotov cocktails and mobs chanting, we will shoot the Jews, weren't enough, Swedish Jews also find themselves pressed by the reigning secularism. The Swedish state is full of solicitude for Jewish citizens in the wake of anti-Semitic attacks, but it also seeks to limit their freedom to practice their faith. Consider Rabbi Alexander Namdar and his six-year battle to homeschool the four youngest of, of his children in Sweden. The rabbi and his wife, Leah, arrived in the country in 1991 as emissaries of the Kabad movement, and they founded its first outpost in Scandinavia. Their center now serves some 4,000 Jews in Gothenburg, offering religious education, holding prayer and holiday activities, and promoting Jewish life and culture in the city. When it came to educating their own children, the public system was out of the question. The public schools were religiously inadequate and, more important, physically unsafe for Jews. Private schools were no better. All schools, including private and religious schools, are government-funded in Sweden and therefore required to accept all all comers. For the Namders, then, homeschooling was the only way to ensure their school-aged children's security and the Jewish character of their education. Yet Sweden amended its education law in 2010 to restrict homeschooling in all but special circumstances. We're running out of time here. I'm going to link to this article as well in show notes so you can read how they were persecuting them for trying to be homeschoolers. I want you to consider this thought for a minute. The dynamic in Europe and then look at America being a step behind, both on the Islamic stuff and the secular paganism. This is where secular paganism, what I call pagan Sharia, comes full circle with Islamic Sharia. They're so open and tolerant that they're so intolerant. So here's what it's like to be a Jew living in Sweden and really in many other European countries. On the one hand, you're beleaguered by the Islamic violence brought in by the secular pagans running the country because we're so open and tolerant that, you know, we're bringing in all the Islamists. All right, so then you might say to yourself, okay, well, that's one one degree of persecution. But at least they're so open and tolerant, they're certainly going to be open and tolerant of the needs of Jews, you know, like they are for the needs of Muslims to rape and plunder. So at least, you know, Jews could just privately get a Jewish education and, you know, have their kosher food and not have it banned, you know, by by laws they have in Europe against the ritual slaughter and other other laws, um, circumcision even, they're going after in some places. And, you know, 
kind of like in the Hanukkah story where they didn't have to, where they got persecuted by the pagan Greeks. Well, we won't have to deal with that because they're so tolerant. No, 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 no. See, that's the thing. If you're a religious Jew or you're a religious Christian or maybe another religion, that's a problem because that's the pagan Sharia. The same pagan Sharia that made Sweden open to mass Islamic migration, which shoves their most intolerant religious mentality on the rest of the people. They are closed to other religions that merely just want to be left alone and be good citizens, good patriotic citizens. And folks, that's coming to America too. Bake the damn cake. So we bring Muslims in, could do whatever they want, and you know religious Christians here and religious Jews and whoever else will get persecuted for keeping their faith. This is what we're, we're up against in America as well. In 15 years from now, we will be there. Heck, at this pace, maybe it will be sooner. This is tolerating the intolerant under the guise of tolerance. And yet, you have the courts, Judge Robart. Could, could you believe this? This is news. A lot of people think that the Supreme Court shut down the lower court insanity, the Fourth Circuit, Ninth Circuit, from messing with Trump's immigration moratorium, travel ban, just general stricter vetting. No. Trump issued a new order um, expanding to 11 countries with stricter vetting for, for, for refugees. The, the, the courts are now mandating, suspending, legislating, saying you can't vet like that. And Judge Robart actually said that it's going to harm our national security and foreign policy if we allow um, this limitation on refugees to go through. Now, first of all, obviously, statute gives the president full authority. He is the one who sets the caps and subcaps, meaning both the total number of refugees we take in, it could be zero, it could be 10,000, it could be a million, and also the subcaps from which parts of the world. The president sets that. Much to our chagrin during the Obama era, he raised them, and there was nothing we can do without passing a new law and blocking it or defunding it. Trump could set it at zero. Yet they're mandating, they're now saying that the, the judges are taking over as commander-in-chief. They're getting into foreign policy and national security. And no one, no one bats an eyelash. Folks, this is your sleepy Christmas week news cycle. We have stolen sovereignty. And it also ties into my entire thesis of people think, oh, the courts are going to save us. The, the Supreme Court allows – it's been almost a year since Trump issued this, and he still can't get it through. Everyone thinks, oh, the Supreme Court saved us. No, they didn't. First of all, half of it the Supreme Court said – what did they say? They said that, oh, well, we're going to halt the temporary injunction against it for those who have no bona fide ties to the U.S., but those who have bona fide ties, it's, it's halted. And like we discussed in the first half of the show, most of them have ties very loosely defined by these lower courts because of chain migration. They all find some family member that wants to bring them in, and we have to bring them in. The courts are saying this was the case in Seattle that Judge Robart, this nutty judge, based on a lawsuit brought on by the ACLU and, yes, Jewish Family Services. Look at that sick irony. They should be ashamed of themselves as bastards who collect, uh, you know, funds based on, you know, people who think they do Jewish charity. And instead, they're destroying their Jewish communities by bringing in radical Islamists from the Middle East. But based on family ties, 
you know, the three conservative justices, if you remember, um, Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch, they said, wait a minute, Roberts and Kennedy and you other guys, what are you doing here? There's no shred of legitimacy. The president has the authority to do all of this. How could you allow any injunction to remain in place from the lower courts? So first of all, they didn't rule on the merits, even on bona fide ties and on on, on non-bona fide ties and on bona fide ties, uh, the injunction is still in place. And indeed, the Ninth Circuit already ruled on the merits. On I believe this was uh, Saturday. The Ninth Circuit said, um, no, they would rule on the merits that the entire thing is unconstitutional. This is how they win with the courts. This is a year of stolen sovereignty on immigration and the courts and the mixture of the two, the courts mandating immigration. This was the subject of my book. And for um, our new Westwood One audience, if you have not purchased my book, sadly, it was a prophecy. Um, what would happen? And it, yeah, I wrote it at the beginning of 2016. Stolen sovereignty had to stop unelected judges from transforming America, particularly with regard to immigration. Still available at Amazon, would be a great late Christmas present. But um, it, 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 it came to fruition this year. So sad, so sad. We have a president that actually wants to do the right thing. And the courts are just, they literally are dictating national security policy. A district judge could put a nationwide injunction on our national immigration policy. And nobody even bats an eyelash anymore. Congress won't lift a finger. Folks, with this new year, I'm going to try to double down on my work on immigration, my work on the courts. But come January, the emergency from our political class in Congress is what? It's more amnesty. We need a DACA fix. Mitch McConnell promised Jeff Flake a vote on a dream amnesty bill. What about the RAISE Act? What about Americans? What about preventing America from becoming like a European hellhole where Jews cannot live, you know, openly practice their religion and, and really anyone? But I, I mention that because this is what you need. If, if you have a sanctimonious friend or relative that's virtue signaling about, oh, isn't it? We need to love people. No hate in my state. No, you little bastard. You are the biggest hater around. You are the hater because you sit by callously, virtue signaling, to bring in more and more people who hate all of us. Who want to bring a second holocaust. Who chant intifada in our own streets. Who perpetrate terror attacks in our own streets who plot against Jewish institutions and all American institutions, particularly Jewish institutions, in our own country. We will not continue to bring this garbage in our country. We will fix the courts this year, God willing. We're going to double down on this work. Man, I just worked myself up. I feel like making some phone calls to members of Congress right now. But um, send me your thoughts and your ideas, how to deal with this, how to raise awareness. But my promise to you is we are going to follow the stories that others do not, but they are even more important than the stories that are in the news. So for those of you joining us from Westwood One, this is very much what the conservative conscience is all about and what we're going to double down on and improve upon in the coming new year. Thank you all for listening. God bless. This has been another episode. 
of the conservative conscience.